0: This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to FubarRadio.com for more details. Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Screen Talk. Uh, it's finally summer. Um, we have sunshine. I'm so happy. My girlfriend tells me off for talking about the weather too much both at home and on the podcast but it means a lot to me Um, we are going to crack straight on I'm going to bring on to the show a man who's not been here for a couple of weeks uh, Mr. James Gill he brings us news he brings us reviews I think reviews you're going to talk about uh, white wiener dog wiener well how do you say it wiener dog wiener is should we call the whole thing off I mean what is it wiener (laughs) wiener wiener is
0: it yeah Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think over here we just say hot dogs <laughs> Yeah, but in that's, America.
1: that's why I'm confused. Uh, wiener, wiener dog. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, first of all,
0: what news is out there, James? How are you, by the way, just quickly? I'm good. How are yeah. you, Dan? You, well, last time we spoke, you had a slight cold.
1: I had a Oh, yeah. I was a bit all over the place, wasn't I? Well,
0: no, I, when, I think when someone has a cold, if they sound like a sexy Kathleen, not that there's a non-sexy Kathleen Turner, yeah. but you were bringing a bit of that Kathleen yeah, Turner tele- vibe, yeah, yeah. my friend. Oh, cool, okay. I never thought I'd okay. say that out loud <laughs> when she appeared
1: in Friends that's
0: what you oh, mean yeah. we, we talked about that before yeah, haven't we, have, we? Yeah. what a brave performance. Yeah. oh Kathleen uh, so what, what's happening in the world of movies and television well if, you, if you're a, if, I know I am mindful that we probably talk about Star Wars a bit too much mm-hmm. but obviously there's a new Rogue One trailer out mm-hmm. and there's also the rumour that Donald Glover and, and again, I've talked about community. It's very niche. Look at me chastising myself on the show, um, but there's a room that Donald Glover trust.
1: Trust the audience that listen to this; that they'll 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 either know the show already, or they'll watch it afterwards.
0: But anyway, so I'm. I'm I love
1: I'm, that. Also, you uh, referenced a um, 80s uh, game show as well. You have a bit of a like. You've mentioned over the weeks. Yes. You've mentioned Ross Abbott mm. being a hero of yours. Hail and Pace, yes, um, underrated. They're uh, who else? There was a couple of them. Oh, there like, you, you basically many, many. were born in the wrong era, weren't you? Or the right era. Or they, the right era, because <laughs> were... you saw them. But if you had been your age in
0: the 70s and 80s... I think I would like entertainment yeah, when, when... me, it... Davro, Les... De- right, this is a true story. When Dustin G tragically died from a heart attack backstage during mm-hmm. a pantomime with Les Dennis, I was seven years old, if there's a way of telling Les this I hand wrote with the help of a primary school teacher I hand wrote a letter of, con- of my condolences to Les Dennis wow. and Les Dennis uh, sent me a signed photo in the post oh. and somewhere down the years I've lost that signed photo yeah, found, I wonder. Oh, can you tell how much it hurts me uh, but yeah I do have a, I do have a tremendous so, affinity for people like Dennis and Abbott and yeah. those guys well yeah, it's,
1: it's good because normally but people in the comedy world and the comedy scene myself included uh, will cite the more uh, alternative mm. generation of comics um, I love that as well so, so,
0: so I've said to a friend who's a comedy fan I, I would I would express my love for say Adam Sandler mm. and he would quite snoo- he Quite this happened the fact that this happened about 10 years ago and it still upsets me and he said yeah well I'd prefer more Ianucci and Coogan myself and I'm like yeah I like those too you gibbering pillock you are allowed to like more than one thing yeah. so I have I have very broad taste is what I'm saying so yeah, yeah I do like I do have mainstream sensibilities but that doesn't mean that I can't also like the more surreal. well stuff. and also you
1: called someone a pillock when you were really really angry so you- pillock's a great <laughs> word I'm
0: bringing back pillock hashtag pillock great word <laughs> Uh, yes So, so As we were saying Star Wars. So the rumors Donald is Glover that Donald Glover That was I mean that was Five minutes <laughs> of yeah, gold yeah, yeah, we well, yeah, yeah. having that My friend <laughs> For having that So Donald Glover Has been strongly linked With the role of Young Lando Calrissian In the Han Solo prequel And if that's true And if you love Star Wars Like I love Star Wars And if you love Donald Glover That is joyous news Isn't it I don't even know Who
1: Donald Glover is Have yeah, you ever seen absolutely. Community I've seen a couple of episodes It wasn't You know I,
0: th- I, I appreciated it But it wasn't something That grabbed me well, yeah, I know that you're a busy chap yeah i know that since james brown passed away you are the busiest man in the business we call show yeah but promise me when you when the producer laughs that's always a good sign promise me when you get some spare time strap in and watch 10 episodes okay. of community strap in it's it's joyous and Do- donald glover is such a talent and the fact that he left that show under under something of a, a cloud. It was rather sad when he left. So I would, I, would, I would, again, channeling my Kevin Keegan, I would love it if Don Glover is playing Lando Calrissian. Uh,
1: well, uh, I, I'm going to say me too, even though I'm <laughs>
0: not fully aware of his work. Um, well, well, if you thought that was niche, this is even more niche. So I'm a, I know that you're a big fan of, uh, as well of, of Saturday Night Live yes. and two of the brightest stars, Taron Killam and Jay Farrow, found out that their contracts are not being renewed. Now, you might be listening thinking, I don't know who these guys are, but in the US, these are two of the main players on SNL. Mm -hmm. So, in the same way that in the early 90s, you wouldn't necessarily... Well, you probably definitely wouldn't have known who Adam Sandler was, but the exact same thing happened to him. And he was... Uh, allegedly reportedly when Sandra is asked were you sacked he sort of says well I don't know because he's such a nice guy mm-hmm. I don't think he likes to you know say so, yeah. rake over the yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly. anyway so what I would say is that Taron Killam and Jay Farrow if you're not familiar with them YouTube them Google them these boys are going to be Massive. They will be breakout stars. Taron Killam does a a Matthew McConaughey impression, and he once did it in front of Woody Harrelson at the time of True Detective. And watch Woody Harrelson live on air. Try not to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) He's amazing.
1: Uh, There's been a few people over the years that either got fired or left uh, too soon um, from SNL that went on to have amazing careers.
0: Exactly. So this is more me. So there's been a, look, I'm going to blow my own trumpet. There have been a couple of things that I've said. I, I feel dreadful saying this out loud That have come tr- that have come good Right, mm-hmm. okay uh, So I, what I'm saying is in the past uh, A lot of people left SNL To become gargantuan stars the- Bill Murray's obvious Eddie Murphy's obvious Adam Sandler, Mike Myers And I think these boys are special Taron Killam the- and, and Jay Farrell. There's
1: a few surprising ones Robert Downey Jr. did it for one year didn't get renewed That's right um, More when a Banks did it For one year you know Did she?
0: Yeah she did There's also someone else And I, I used to know this Off the top oh, of my head Oh Julia Louis-Dreyfus Did she, she do it? Yeah. yeah And then also was, In the mid 80s They were flagging And they called in Some of the big guns Yeah So normally what they do Is they bring up-and-comers They turn them into stars And, and everyone's happy In the mid 80s They brought in Harry Shearer That's right Michael McKean And Billy Crystal Oh my god oh Can my you imagine? God. So Crystal was quite a big star He'd yeah. had the success of Soap Catch if they did that now. And they brought those three guys in, and it worked a treat. You know, it's a bit like when Liverpool signed Gary McAllister. He was in his late 30s. Everyone thought, it's his raising an oh, eyebrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And McAllister won the the, 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 the treble with, with Liverpool. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, All got, got, I can hear I've right got got niche now is. Anyway. You're uh,
1: going niche within niche. Niche within niche. Um, so can I ask you something? Yes, you can. Just before you go on to your next subject. Uh, I haven't seen Suicide Squad yet. Yes. Uh, what do we make of the fact that it is possibly one of the worst reviewed films of the summer blockbusters and yet went on to make shit loads of money? Uh, sim, you know, in a similar um, vein to uh, Batman versus Superman, or is it the other so, way So around?
0: So I will try, as you know, I'm a very positive. I'm uh, possibly too positive, so I will try be as matter of fact as possible. Okay, <laughs> okay. that is that is fair. I w- I'd like you to sort of maybe not be matter of fact. I'm going like to try to- be as matter of fact as possible. Yeah. So I would say what happened with Suicide Squad is the reason why it made so much money is because there were a lot of pre-booked tickets. So people were estimating that the movie would take roughly around 100. 50 million in its opening weekend, and a lot of that was just insane by the way. Which is insane is that internationally or uh, domestically? That's got to that, be internationally. That made international, yeah. but it did really well in the US yeah, on, yeah, on its own. Yeah. But a lot of that was because people had already bought their tickets, right? And so, what may happen is it may have what is called a second week drop off, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't have much of a second week drop off, it may have a third week drop off. And so, some experts were suggesting that that film would need to make around 800 million worldwide to be deemed a success. Now, you may think... You may be spitting out your tea at home listening to that, but don't forget that Batman vs Superman made something in the region of 900 million worldwide. And for some people... That, I mean can you believe that, what what a time to be alive for some people that film hasn't been deemed the mega smash it thought it was thought that because it took less than a billion i mean what on, yeah. can you believe these words are coming out of my mouth because it took less than a billion it wasn't deemed the smash that many thought it would be and the and it's similar for Suicide Squad so it's aiming for around 800 i would be surprised if it manages to hit that because i would say the reviews have been so harsh haven't they
1: yeah well, the th- the weird thing is, um, when people, some people may not know this, but when films are made, for you, you say it needs to make eight hundred million to even be considered, you know, uh, successful, you know, and that's probably not even as successful as they would have hoped, but that's. The budget of the film is like 150 million or 200 million but then max. That doesn't
0: even factor in. The, but then the, m- the marketing, marketing campaign. I
1: yeah. mean, uh, h- I'm, surely, <laughs> surely, what's that? That's 600 million in marketing.
0: Is I mean, that uh, no? I mean, it won't be that much. But I think they're just factoring in how much profit they were expecting to make on a film I mean, like this. So that, but I mean, the thing, the marketing campaign on Suicide Squad. And again, being a matter of fact, it, it was brilliant because it's a film. The trailers
1: that, were really good. The trailers as well. fantastic. That yeah.
0: you've seen the posters yeah. all over the country, and it's a film that people have to, have, have been talking about month in, month out. So, the, and I think their marketing campaign was so good that that was part of the reason why some of the Star Trek fans were upset that Star Trek Beyond hadn't had the similar levels of coverage. So, Star Trek Beyond it had a bit of a ramp up towards its release but Suicide Squad people have been talking about this film Mm. for months in the same way that you might talk about a Star Wars movie Mm -hmm. I mean the people at Warner's whoever marketed this movie dudes, give yourselves a pat on the back, because you did a great job.
1: So actually, that was the thing, that was the reason I brought this up, was because what I wanted to say is, on the one hand, I think it's great when a film gets negative reviews, and then still does well. I've mentioned this before about TV shows, just to sort of highlight that maybe the critics A, don't have as much power as they used to, and B, don't necessarily know what the general public like. But the flip side of that is uh, the More cynical, the cynical uh, uh, counter argument is: Well, what's worse, like critics having control of what people see, or people who market movies? You know, the the people behind the marketing.
0: Like, you know, who's? But I would also say that um, the proof will be in the pudding, and it's. I think it, it would make more sense to judge how successful the film has been after a few weeks
1: well also forgetting the box office for a bit there okay. were, some people did actually like some people did give it good reviews I mean a couple know. of
0: my mates at Empire yeah. uh, they both really enjoyed it yeah. you know so and they gave it four stars so some people you know some people have loved it but it, it, it is laughable I did laugh when some people were attacking Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten to- I think Rotten Tomatoes is a, is a wonderful a wonderful thing and all it's doing is just holding a mirror back up to yeah. what people have said so Rotten Tomatoes crime was doing their job all yeah, yeah. they'd done was these are the well, reviews well they hadn't done anything really yeah, exactly all they're saying is these are the this reviews is the reviews that, are.
1: that this film has and got and people went stop telling everyone bad, what the reviews are bad
0: Rotten Tomatoes that's what people are saying you're like well no I think Rotten Tomatoes is great because if you want to, let's say you want to take your family out, your missus out, your husband out, you want to check out your little at-a-glance reviews, Rotten Tomatoes does a wonderful job because it's got a cross-section of all sorts of reviews.
1: You wait until you spend three years of your life making a movie <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is po- highlighting all the negative things people are saying. Then we'll see if you think it's a good thing. I mean, that, Now, it, I agree. I think it, all it is is just, uh, uh, it's, it's no different to... You know, just having seven newspapers in front of you and going right, what's the
0: general consensus? Exactly, you that's know? all it is. Yeah, what, I tell you what, that is fascinating. So, I and mean, I've been a lucky chap in this job, and that I get to see films from the pretty much from the start to the very end. And so, I've been on, say, a set visit, and so you get to appreciate just how many people work on a film how much work goes into a film, how many months it goes on for, then all the post-production stuff. You know, I've met chaps when they're in post-production. That goes on for months. Then on top of that, you've got the press campaign. So like you say, it can be from start to finish. Three years yeah. is probably about accurate. I mean, you've said that off the top of your head. I think you're absolutely... Bad well, I, I
1: know there. people that have started who write films as well, and they've said, you know, it's been six years in the making. Absolutely. You know, so and
0: there must be there can be no more heartbreaking <laughs> thing that you say you've spent six, six years of your life, yeah. you know, body and soul, night and day you've missed the kids growing up (laughs) and then the film comes out and someone comes and watches it and goes, crap. (laughs) I mean, mean, oh my God. And I do think it's well, look, I mean, what—that's their job. They're that's meant to review job. it, but and you know, and then on the critic side, they would say, "Well, I, you know, I went to journalism school. I've been in, I've yeah, been. Yeah. I've been writing about, movies but no for one's 20 reviewing years. your journalistic skills. Well, then you have got message boards, and they do review the, well, the well, journalistic yeah, skills, yeah. well, yeah, but that's now we're getting niche again. <laughs> um, so what else we got before we have to wrap up because we've got a short one. So. You're joking? Yeah, I tell you what, I could, as you can tell, I could talk all day. I, well, I would say, uh, you know, we do talk a lot about mainstream movies, uh, and there's a slightly left of the middle movie out this week called Wiener Dog by Todd Solon. I'm Solons. surprised you're saying left... I would have thought this
1: was really, really left field.
0: It really I mean, is. I mean...
1: Knowing Todd Solons, um Salons, Solons. Let's call the, the whole, whole thing, thing off. off. Uh, Wiener, <laughs> Wiener. Um, <laughs> what's... Uh, I, knowing his previous work, I would have said this was like properly... Like Left field,
0: absolutely. And so I went to a I went to a preview screening for this a few weeks ago. And those of, who, the, of us who were laughing, if you have a, a nice dark sense of yeah. humour, I mean, some people, including myself, were yeah. belly laughing because some of the <laughs> some of the humour is so dark. And obviously, I imagine some pe- you know some people were not laughing. So the wonderful thing about Todd Salons is he's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and that you know he's perfectly fine with that. So the plot line of this movie is there is a lovable dachshund, and it is passed from owner to owner. So it's like Portman's style. So you've got for one section, Danny DeVito is the owner of the dog. He's an aspiring screenwriter. Screenwriter, and then there's another section. Ellen Burstyn uh, is an elderly woman who's bailing out her unreliable granddaughter, uh, and she's the owner of the dog. And then it get, so it gets passed from owner to owner okay. for a variety of reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely premise, and there are some wonderful performances. And even if there's a section you don't like, don't worry, because in five ten minutes time, the, the dog gets a new. So honor.
1: is it l- a bit more like shortcuts or one of these multi strand?
0: Story it, it films. It is, but not not as epic or cinematic as yeah. shortcuts. It's it's more. Punchy, almost sketch style, right. if you like. But uh, if I was going to pick out some uh, men of the match, I, DeVito is, is a yeah. joy as the screenwriter, and, and Ellen Burstyn, who is, he's, I mean, she's a, an icon of cinema. She's she's wonderful as this uh, elderly owner. So yeah, that that will be my recommendation mm-hmm. of the week. It's 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 something unusual, it's something different. But Wiener Dog is a lot of fun. Um, do you, does it go as dark as Happiness? No. Okay. No, I mean Happiness. Yeah, <laughs> oh my yeah. god! I mean, there's a scene in Happiness with. With Dylan Baker, where he has to break it to his son that he is of a certain disposition, yeah. and I would I think that is one of the great moments in cinema. Yeah, I yeah, got to yeah. interview Todd Salons about a week ago, really, and I t- I said that that moment, and obviously there's a scene in Happiness that involves a teenage boy, a Labrador l- licking the the pole at yeah. the at the apartment. I mean, it's. If you've seen Happiness, you'll know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. If you haven't, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's wonderful. And again, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in that. It. Uh, Is it, what, in Wienerdorf? No, in, uh, in, in Happiness, no, if right. you've not seen Happiness. What am I
1: saying? wiener? I keep getting that Quite wrong. whatever you like, my friend. Um,
0: well, I'm I'm excited to see it. Uh, and I'm surprised it's released this time of year, in a way. But i tell knew. you what, if you're the sort of person that thinks some people are a bit too cheerful during the summer... Go yeah. pay your 10 quid and watch what we get Well, James, a pleasure as always. Next week,
1: thank let's you. talk for a bit longer um, and let's talk about some of the things we've accumulated, only slightly touched <laughs> upon over the weeks. Um, thank you very much. Thanks, Dane. Green Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio. So, uh, before we welcome my next guest, I'm going to play the first of his two songs, which he's chosen. Uh, there's a specific reason he chose this song. Uh, it fe- features in his guilty pleasure choice, which I won't mention yet. Uh, it's uh, I, I watched it last night, and my God, it's a contender for one of the one of the worst best. I never know whether it's worst or best when it's a guilty pleasure. Anyway, uh, this song. Um, is a song by an artist who was, coincidentally, my absolute icon when I was about 13. I thought he was the coolest man on the planet. This was obviously before I discovered pot and music from the 60s. Uh, I loved him so hard. I, I even broke up, right, this is, this is how much I wanted to be like him. I broke open a, a, ba- a tea bag, emptied the tea leaves, and then stuck the tea leaves to my face. To create a designer stubble Because that's how like much like him I wanted to be I am of course talking about The man who pioneered the Designer stubble, Mr George Michael And this is the song, Faith oh, well, nice. George, my hero Or was my hero, well not, you know Just as a 13-year-old, he was the epitome of cool. Uh, So joining me today is uh, one half of the powerhouse duo behind Peep Show and Fresh Meat. He's a writer, producer, and this I didn't know about, a novelist. (laughs) He's uh, giving me a fairly uh, confident little raise of the eyebrow Um, I didn't know about this I I am, of course, talking about Mr. Sambane You wrote a novel I did a little bit of research Which does just mean looking on Wikipedia (laughs) Um, uh, Just in case there were things, you know There were a couple of uh, things on there That I'd either wasn't aware of Or a few things that were like Oh yeah, of course he did that But um, the book I didn't know about
2: Yeah, I wrote it... um 22 years ago.
1: What? hmm It was published in 2002, it said? Yes. Yeah. Ten,
2: eight years later.
1: Uh, why? How? Okay, so this was obviously before you worked in TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and what you wanted to be a novelist.
2: I did. Yeah? And that's why I wrote a novel.
1: This is, by the way, I'm not going to give it away yet. This is also why you've picked your guilty pleasure. I sort of see there's maybe uh. a... Subliminal thing, but we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. So, uh, so did you write the book? Hate the experience and went. I'd rather write TV. Or did no, you like I, the experience? I wrote
2: the book, but the publishers hated the experience of reading it. <laughs> oh
1: God! So
2: eight years later, I finally got it published through a small, cool little press. But it was yeah, it was really nice to get it finally out there.
1: Yeah, I bet. I mean, I've always right, I've thought about you know book writing and I, I'm not doing it because the thing that always freaks me out is not the first draft but going back and rewriting a book it seems like oh my god where do you even obviously you start at the beginning but like <laughs> 300 pa- it's not like you know how scripts the dialogue you know an, a, a script probably is if you percentage in terms of words inks per page is yeah. about 30 percent because right. of the way the yeah but a book is that's a lot of Words well, my and book was pretty
2: short. Was it? It was only like 40,000 words. It was kind of a novella in a way. But yeah, a proper book. Yeah, a lot of work. But, you know, it is probably the best writing experience I've had in some ways. Really? you're completely in control of everything, unlike TV and film.
1: But you you wrote it without knowing whether it would ever get published. Correct. Was that a freedom or a fear? Oh, well, I right. wrote
2: it on, on an MA course at Manchester. Ah. Creative writing, MA, so...
1: Is this just your dissertation published? Basically, is it? Yeah,
2: <laughs> it is. Well, it was my dissertation yeah. for that MA.
1: Okay, okay. Well, maybe more people should get their dissertations published. <laughs> um, I. Uh, oh, so you enjoy you enjoy writing. Obviously, you do lots of writing. Um, <laughs> do you prefer doing that? kind of thing where you're on your own or do you like working because i know you do obviously you work with jesse yeah. as a duo you've had teams on fresh meat yes and you've written solely on your own do you have a preference out of any of those well three?
2: i think writing on on your own is probably the toughest but the flip side is it can be the most rewarding mm-hmm. because you can write something that's completely your own writing with a partner is really fun if it works obviously if it doesn't it's a nightmare it's like a bad marriage but if it works and me and jesse have worked together for 20 years it's like a dream because you can just make sure they laugh and keep your spirits up when they're low yeah so it's pretty amazing if
1: one of you's having a bad day the other one might be able to like yeah very much so and someone to kind of
2: report to so you never lose you never just write off a week Mm -hmm. stay in bed you kind of keep going and there's lots of things to recommend it's obviously very common in comedy.
1: Yeah, do you ever do do you two write to when you do write together do you write actually together at the laptop or do you go off and then send each other things?
2: Yeah, we do all the outlining together. So mm-hmm. we'd like create a show together in the same room and outline an episode in the same room, but then we'd go and write the dialogue mm-hmm. separately and email.
1: Yeah. And can you tell the difference between like obviously we can't, but could you? Could someone close to you go? Oh, that's definitely a Sam bit of dialogue, or that's a. Or have you become so? You know, the same thing on those shows that you work together. Well, it's an interesting
2: question that. I mean, I think on Peep Show probably no, and you know we do get other writers in like John Brown, Simon Blackwell, Tom Hazden, mm-hmm. and so you're writing to those characters. So hopefully you wouldn't notice who wrote what.
1: Yeah, and that didn't happen until later on in the Correct. series, right? So Correct, it's yeah. so set up by then, right? Yeah.
2: But I don't know. I think me and Jesse are doing more solo writing now, and if, if and when those sh- scripts get made, maybe it would be interesting to see for people the differences. Because mm-hmm. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not so aware of them myself.
1: No, we probably... Sometimes it's like when you write something and someone says, well, what kind of style is it? Sometimes it takes someone else to tell you because you're like well I've just written something I wanted to write I didn't know yeah. it was a sort of French new wave thriller <laughs> um, I've never written one of those that's for sure uh, do you Do you? Th- is there a kind of thing that, um, uh, that you like to do more but Jesse's oh I prefer you know do you have slight shifts where he wants to make things a bit more weird or you like things more weird or one of you likes more rude stuff or are you both totally on the same page with everything no
2: I think You know, and also the stuff we choose to write together is stuff that we share. I mean, he used to work for an MP and he's run into politics, so I Mm, guess writing for The Thick of It and Veep, she's done, which I haven't... It's sort of sympathetic of that. Mm -hmm. But, no, in terms of actual sense of humour, we're very compatible, very much the same.
1: Yeah. When did it start? When did did this duo, this relationship,
2: begin? Um, I sent him a feature film script that I'd written in 1995... Right, which was pretty terrible.
1: How did you know him? I mean, oh, like, we met at university. Yeah. At oh, a okay. creative writing yeah, yeah. course. So we, you we didn't met, just guess an email, and it?
2: No, I didn't <laughs> just randomly yeah. write to a bloke in Otter Street, yeah. which is where he's from. No, yeah. we met at Manchester on a creative writing course. So We'd been writing short stories and poetry and mm-hmm. seeing each other in class, and we shared a house for a year. Okay, and then I read, sent him this script, which was pretty awful, but he did like some of the jokes. Yeah, and he thought, well, maybe we could write a sitcom because we both like sitcom. And we tried, and like, there was chemistry basically, it just worked, so we thought, well, this is good, and sitcoms actually might pay some money, unlike my novel, which hadn't mm-hmm. paid anything at that point. So, that's where it started.
1: Okay. Do you, th- I've, th- I th- I've had this weird thing where I've worked in groups and on my own and I've w- tried writing with people who I get on so well with socially or even there's, I'm thinking of one instance where it was someone I've acted with quite a few times and we just have such great chemistry as performers mm. we get on really well socially it, there's just nothing about our friendship or, or dynamic that, that there, there's nothing negative about it and yet we try to write together and it just couldn't it just didn't work and you're like what is that we couldn't work it out either we couldn't work out what that that thing that alchemy thing is but it's so it's I mean to have found someone that early on in your career that you work so well with I mean surely now that you guys go off and do your separate things you must be like wow that is that's quite a rare and amazing thing
2: well I think to our credit we've always appreciated how rare and amazing it is so we were very keen to keep it going and not be one of the many partnerships you break up acrimoniously which does happen yeah yeah because like you said there's chemistry you know it's like there's no real reason why it should work with some people and not others but it just does and we were aware of that quite early on
1: did you write did you write different scripts or pitch different ideas before you got to peep show i mean yeah Yeah.
2: we had like a five-year apprenticeship of a series of disasters and missteps and drafts and almost heartache. and heartache and, but we were still you know writing writing professionally which is a big achievement in itself so we yeah. weren't like too unhappy Yeah, yeah. we just didn't get our Shot yeah. to a Peep Show properly.
1: Now, I've heard uh, w- what came first like, with the with Peep Show. I'm sure you've said every single thing you can possibly say about this show. I mean, it ran for an incredible 10 s- seasons, right? Series. Well, nine. Nine. Oh, okay. It's annoying for the completists. Oh, yeah. Like our
2: mutual friend Ian Morris yeah.
1: hates the fact that it's
2: nine. He's like, well, ten. It's got to be ten.
1: Ten. You don't have That's the so top round. nine.
2: <laughs> you don't have the magnificent nine. No,
1: that is true it's 10 yeah oh you have nine the musical but that's that's not a list of people um I oh god I I think I've just rounded it off to 10 just because it sounds better feel free to spread that misinformation because I might make Ian happy yeah yeah Ian uh, you made 10 you were involved in 10 (laughs) shows uh, series um did you so you did that for 9 series 10 (laughs) and uh, (laughs) uh, uh was it the concept or the characters that came first um well, that's a
2: tricky question to answer because... You no, know, the, the, the simple answer is we had the concept and then we sort of imported the characters for another script which had uh-huh. been in the dust. Yeah, yeah. So we had this script which we were writing with Mission Webb, the BBC mm-hmm. and Gareth Edwards produced and it was good scripts but they just didn't get made. But we sort of had the prototypes yeah. of those characters of Mark, Jeremy and Superhands mm-hmm. and Tony in that script. And we thought they were lying around unused, mm-hmm. and we love the characters. So we kind of had a concept of the POV and the voiceover, which you could almost use on any subject. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, why not use it on these characters which we like? Yeah. And developed it more.
1: Well, I, I often say to people who have just started out writing, um, why they're listening to me, I don't know. But if uh, they do ask for advice, or they're getting down about something that they've worked on and it's been rejected, I say... But there's, stuff never dies completely because, like what you've just said, you even if it do, doesn't come back to life, which sometimes it does, like two years later, there's new commissioning editors and they like something that you wrote two years ago. But also, you can take stuff from a script, whether it's a storyline or a character or something. Oh, yeah. So, nothing is, you should never think, well, that's just, I've failed, that's n- Totally,
2: totally agree. And in fact, you know, like I said earlier, Jesse read that feature that my wrote. 95 which is the worst thing I've ever written I would say <laughs> but in some ways the most important thing I ever wrote because if I hadn't and he hadn't read it and realised I was serious about writing scripts mm-hmm. we probably never would have worked together yeah
1: so it completely had a function yeah 100% yeah. Uh, so I hear they're um, and this makes me laugh because I've been in this experience I hear they're going to give peep show another go in America third time lucky third time lucky so what's hap- what's gone wrong before um, well, the first
2: one is on YouTube. I think that speaks for itself. They, is it really? Yeah, yeah. They oh. dropped a lot of the POV camera work.
1: Okay, because I heard, of, I, I thought this was just folklore that people had exaggerated, but I heard that the Americans went, first of all, they said, um, do the guys have to be like, you know, can they be better looking and like toned and, yeah, there's a you bit know, of that. and. Do we have to have the POV thing? Yeah, that is like,
2: basically uh, true. I didn't have it a little bit. I've watched it for years for obvious reasons. I'm not a massive fan of pain, <laughs> but,
1: um, if but it's it rhymes with your name, so you should I know, be. You should I should be more yeah. into pain. You should change your surname to Sam P. Yeah, yeah. P. I.
2: <laughs> but um, yeah, they did do it that, and the second one never got aired. It was just a sort of non-broadcast pilot, which I think was all right. But you know, it's just very hard to recapture. The chemistry. I mean, we wrote those characters for Mission and yep, Yeah. And, you
1: know... To because you'd developed something with them before. Because we knew them, we'd knew worked them.
2: on the on script at the BBC with them that I mentioned, and we just knew they were going to be brilliant, and we were obviously right about that and lucky to have them. And so when you, you know, when you make a suit that's, you know, bespoke for mm-hmm. someone, then you can't just fit it onto anyone. It's yeah, hard. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's that difficult sorry i don't think it's that easy to remake a a show
1: but you would have thought that the pov thing in itself like an amazing concept and brings you so much added stuff that you can't normally do in a sitcom because you why are you in someone's head especially multiple characters like you have shows with narration but not two narrations so you would have thought that that they could maybe just hang on to that more and then do, like they did with The Office, slightly tweak the characters for...
2: Yeah, and maybe they will. I think, you know, we're working a bit with the writer and he seems really good on the new pilot, so maybe it'll be a lot better. I mean, also... But then again, I think the POV thing, although I'm a fan of it, is quite off-putting mm. to people. I mean, I don't...
1: You heard it here first.
2: Well, I hates the POV thing. <laughs> I like it. I wouldn't change it. But, yeah. you know, the show's never rated that highly. I think Mission Web is so funny and I think the scripts are pretty mm-hmm. good. I wonder if that's part of it. People maybe watch it and go, oh, that looks a bit hard on the eyes. I think the VOs are different because that's a yeah. jokes and that's really fun. Sure, yeah. I don't know. It, it has a sort of slightly challenging quality compared to a normal sitcom, which probably hasn't done it any favours in terms of audience.
1: No, I get that. I get that. It's, um, it does make you realise a lot, especially when you see some of the really big broad shows that are popular at the moment on BBC One that really don't really seem to care about the way it looks and the mm. way it's lit. And they're massive shows, which kind of indicates that people at home aren't interested in comedy that looks like it has a certain style or gimmick or they just want characters saying funny things in yeah. funny situations. And Probably really true. I'm not saying that that's what I like. I like a bit of, in, you know, invention. But um, mm. I think uh, there is quite a big audience that might be like, oh, this all seems a bit like... Other Lee. Yeah,
2: well, there's a lot of choices now. You've got to grab people pretty quick.
1: Yeah. But I think it, I do think it had. It brought an element to it that you don't get in other sitcoms. Yeah. As well, and, um, by I,
2: th- all. I think that, you know, we were aware that we had a sort of USP, which probably helped get it commissioned. It was. I think probably quite influenced by two shows that were huge when we were writing it, Raw Family and Spaced, mm-hmm. which were kind of revolutionary in the fact that yeah. they really made you think visually about a sitcom. Mm-hmm. And they were both formally quite experimental in very different ways. Before those shows, I don't, think, I don't think I'd really thought visually about a sitcom as a writer. but that Those two shows, and probably especially Spaced, made us think, well, how could you reimagine a sitcom? Mm-hmm. And I think we have a big debt to those shows.
1: Did you then, shortly afterwards, everyone come to you for, so what's your next one, like silent comedy or from the point of view of the pets or... <laughs> like, what, was? W- were you the gimmick guys and, like, was it... Or did you I make think, it clear quite early on that, no, 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 that's not what we're interested in or... I
2: think I think that we had a happy accident of finding the perfect gimmick for that show, but it's hard to recreate that, so we haven't really been the gimmick mm-hmm. guys.
1: But maybe there's time. yeah. Come on, new gimmick. Come on, what is it? What, what other gimmicks are out there? Maybe, I don't it's, know. maybe it's all shot backwards, like... I like it, like, like Memento. Yeah. Or, maybe, or literally back, like Rewound. Yeah, or may,
2: <laughs> that would be really <laughs> off-putting,
1: right? Yeah. You'd get even less viewers. Yeah. Amazing. But you'd be fucking cool. Yeah, man. They'd, love it. It. They'd love it in Hackney. Or They'd maybe
2: it. maybe no one has faces that are just blank... That's that's I think Charlie Brook has done that on Black Mirror or something. On that. I'll yeah. think about some more ideas. But I like the
1: rewind thing, and then you have to watch, you have to record it, and then watch it backwards. Or maybe, maybe. everyone
2: wears glasses. Everyone. Okay, if in I don't get cast show. in that,
1: then something's seriously <laughs> going wrong. <laughs> mm. uh, I uh, um, I did a show How Not to Live Your Life, which um, we did, we sold to America four times wow yeah so Are I think been through this I've been through that and I think it does make me realise just or it makes me think that uh, Ricky and Steve I mean the, the, the jackpot they hit oh, with yeah. not only creating like gen- one of the best sitcoms of all time in the UK but to that? then which show was that um, uh, it was cool <laughs> uh, I can't remember the the room, or okay, something. yeah, the room. Yeah, I and um, I was going to say another sitcom, and then I realised that would just be <laughs> insulting to any other sitcom. But um, I, uh, but to then have it translated to adapted for America and be a hit again, I mean that just it just doesn't happen. It's infuriating, isn't it? It's inf- I'm so pissed off. Why oh can't I, I agree. get a piece.
2: I think people, you know, that's the ultimate example of how it works. And I guess years ago with things like Sanders and Son and.
1: What was the um, the Alf Garnet one? That yeah, was uh, that was all called in the family. Was Ar- it called? Yeah, yeah, Archie Bunker. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, those three examples are probably the exceptions. Yeah. There must be hundreds of shows that have just failed. That we never even heard of thousands.
1: I remember seeing. I think there's a Only Fools and Horses one called Only Jerks and something. Jerks and ponies. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. What is it? Ponies more common than horses in there? I don't o- know. only jerks and ponies. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Hey, Billboy. Uh get out of my lawn. I love it. I love it. Um but yeah, it just for some reason I think I've seen the IT crowd version. But Which maybe. Richard is in, right? Yes. Yeah. Amazingly. Yeah. I love it. I love it when one component still Did you appear in
2: any of your American Pilots? No.
1: We never got to pilot. We we I wrote Pilot scripts that were then put forward for pilot season, and then uh, uh, the problem I had with my show, and I think Peep shows uh, are probably similar in terms of its tone and content, is that for American network it was too edgy, and for American cable it wasn't edgy enough. Right, and that's what sort of like BBC Two, Channel Four does—that somewhere in between.
2: Yeah,
1: so it's it's kind of. Because the amount of times going, oh, the character's just not very likable on network, and then mm. I wrote uh, one after trying it a couple of times on network. We w- wrote one for uh, FX, and they went, "Can you make him more of a uh, more of an asshole?" <laughs>
2: yeah, that's that's like, good, wow. Look,
1: okay, that's a good illustration yeah. of your cultural divide yeah. between the two, isn't it? Um, but yeah, well, good luck with the third. T- are you Thank involved you. in that? Uh, consulting producers, yeah. So we okay. are looking at
2: stuff, but we're not hands-on.
1: Yeah. Um they uh I the best story I heard about people buying formats or ideas from shows or uh adapting shows or whatever was someone I was work I was trying to adapt something out there and a producer told me that they'd just pitched a show to I think the Fox Network about uh, a woman that lives with a ghost and in the room they loved it and they said, We want it. They bought it in the room. Brilliant. The next day they called up and said, We've spoken to our um you know, CEO or whatever, our boss. Uh, we love the show. We're still really passionate about it. But does it have to be a ghost? <laughs> it's like, so you want the ghost <laughs> show, but without a ghost. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, yeah. that's TV for you. Um, so uh, I, when I was looking at your uh, wiki page, the thing that uh, I was reminded of uh, was uh, a show I really, really enjoyed, and slightly out of your usual wheelhouse was the Old Guys. Oh yeah, I loved that show. Oh good, thank yeah. you very much. Um, wh- how? That's the first time you've ever gone to like BBC One. Yeah. Studio audience. Correct. Did have you ever wanted to go back and do Not that? really.
2: Or- I mean, you know, luckily we have Peep Show and Fresh Meat and stuff to to, to occupy our time after that, so we never really. I had to wonder about what to do next but i think it was i really enjoyed making that show roger lopat who sadly passed away
1: it was so good and it?
2: clive and yeah. jane and Catherine are all amazing mm-hmm. actors so and i think it was good that we tried that you know because that's the whole area of sitcom which we hadn't attempted the audience and it was fun but it's, it's probably not my comfort zone mm-hmm. i think especially now the majority of sitcoms, both here in the States, aren't studio audience. It feels like you have to have a really strong creative reason to do that show. If you look at Mrs. Brown's Boys, or Miranda or Graham Linehan's shows, they all kind of feel like they should be, Mm -hmm. they have a heightened sense, for want of a better word. And we don't really write like that, or we do occasionally, but our main our main um, kind of way of writing is quite realistic. I don't think that's
1: massively
2: suited to that form, mm-hmm. particularly.
1: There's also something quite frightening about the type of gag and gag count that you have to do that don't, you don't necessarily in single camera. Yeah. You know, it's like it's got a feel and sound much more like a gag oh yeah no it's horrifying I
2: made the mistake of sitting in the audience once and when it's it's not going well you just feel like (laughs) driving into a hole and disappearing because you feel like it's like um, you know public speaking but you know yeah and there's nothing you can do
1: you can't stop the performance and recording and go everyone can we just do a quick rewrite Uh, well
2: they do that in America but you know we don't yeah it's quite exposing
1: for sure yeah so no to doing that again well
2: (laughs) Never say never, but it's not probably the natural next step.
1: What, what about BBC One? How did you find writing? It was BBC One, wasn't it? yeah, it, it was. Yeah.
2: And you know, we sort of felt like we were doing our national service, our national duty in a way, because a lot of comedy writers don't attempt that. And I think it was a good thing to try. And two series is respectable, and I'm proud of the show. But you know, it's not what we'd probably be remembered for. I mean, look, I'm, I'm up for it. I guess I just feel like, luckily, we have the luxury of choice, mm-hmm. and certainly all the channels now you have you could possibly pitch to probably just right where you're most comfortable with,
1: yeah and a uh, fresh meat has that also come to an end? yeah
2: we we terminated that last year in a sort of fl- blitzkrieg of finality. show and fresh meat both what? ended.
1: Why, do you, why are you doing this to yourself? Just spite, basically. <laughs> Sam Payne. A- yeah, again. just kind
2: of like a confused act of vengeance against people who've really helped us over the years. Okay. Channel
1: 4 and all yeah. the actors. It was like, no, no, screw you all. Do you know what? We're, we're done. Yeah. I don't care about you guys. There is a creative reason for this as well. Well, I it believe. was a coincidence
2: they finished in the same year. But, yeah, I mean, Peep Show, we felt like we'd done nine series... We don't ten. want to do the ten.
1: 10 just to piss off Ian <laughs> just Morris. <to> not Ian.
2: <laughs> and we just really wanted to kind of end it well in the sense of having a planned ending and trying to do the best possible series that we could and really working towards that. And with Fresh Meat, it was a bit easier because obviously a college comedy is never going to be forever. Mm hmm so that was a bit I'm,
1: sh- more- I'm sure some uh, executives could <laughs> think of ways of making it last forever but so was it three seasons? Four? Four. So uh, technically that's that's like a foundation year and three year course or something Yeah
2: well I can't remember exactly but definitely it wasn't one year per series. Yeah
1: okay yeah. and that I presume having just uh, learned that you and Jesse were at uh, college together that is somewhat based on those experiences. Yeah, yeah, we
2: definitely bonded over Manchester and there's no one in the show who's particularly based on us but definitely we had strong memories of that time and felt it was a great area for comedy. It
1: seems weird that that show hadn't been or that the idea for Fresh Meat hadn't been done before. I know, well the
2: young ones obviously was a, well, yeah, a student comedy, a very different kind they, but brilliant.
1: And But in a weird sort of way and maybe I was too young to really be aware of this but I, didn't, I don't think of it Massively is about being at no, university. No, it was very
2: anarchic and not really. It's about sort of
1: I mean, more about flatmates than. Yeah,
2: I think that's true. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. But yeah, I think you're
1: right. Fresh meat felt like a kind of obvious thing. And when you came up with it and the title, you must have gone yes.
2: Yeah, I like the title. We came up with it before Peep Show. Did you? We came up with it in 1999 and pitched it to the BBC. He didn't like it. It was a bit different. It was similar characters but half-hour sitcom. And then it just gathered dust. And then after Peep Show, people were like, oh, what have you got in your dusty drawer? Mm. So we pulled it out and sort of made it into more of a comedy drama and a bit longer slot. But yeah, it was it was a kind of pre-Peep Show idea.
1: So your track record with the book and this, uh, you basically come up with an idea and then 10 years later, yeah. you actually make it or sell it Definitely. or release it. Yeah. I'm
2: sure loads of writers have that story. Yeah. I think it should be inspiring, like you said earlier, for people. Because, you know frankly fresh meat got made because we were seen to be hotter writers than pre peep show and it was still the same sort of material that hadn't changed mm-hmm. particularly it so was, every, uh,
1: no one had mobile phones and twitter didn't exist yeah it was but we,
2: but we kind of always felt that show that emotionally being a student is is the same as it ever was yeah um and it, we didn't worry too much about being old
1: have you uh, ever been um approached or tempted to do a film version of any of your shows we've talked about fresh meat film
2: people show movie but yeah never really got off the ground I think again a bit like American adaptations the in between is in the loop they're relatively rare yeah I mean obviously you can make a lot of money doing a spin off if it's any good but it's also quite easy to do a bad one it's
1: weird isn't it like how many bad films of good sitcoms that, I mean in the yeah. 70s it, everyone was doing them. The fact that there was even an On the Buses, the movie. Yeah, I well,
2: mean, fact fans would yeah. enjoy the fact that On the Buses made more than Diamonds Forever. Serious? Serious. How do you know that fact? I just remember it, reading it somewhere, but oh it kind of rings true because it was a huge show, yeah. right? It has a built-in audience.
1: I just I'm just, trying in my head to imagine people going to the cinema to see On the Buses. Yeah, well, you know,
2: it's the in-betweeners of its day. Yeah. I mean, they, they do do it in their droves. And Ab, Ab Fab is a big hit. Like,
1: yeah, that's true. But, you know, well, I suppose I was going to say it's maybe because it was, it's was it been so long since they did a show that people are so happy that there's anything, whether it's a film or a TV show. But apparently mm. it's good as well. I, I haven't seen it. But we'll, we'll leave that to the, uh, the critics. Uh, so uh, let's move on to your guilty pleasure. I very rarely have I been made to watch something <laughs> that I think, I don't know if I can, I'm still trying to digest it all because I watched it Me last too. night. I watched it 20 years ago, I'm still digesting yeah, it. Yeah, I think I hated it. Yeah, I think you should have hated it. I
2: Can you tell everyone what you picked as yeah, your so guilty pleasure? the film, pleasure? Matthew, that I'm choosing this week
1: <laughs> I do want you then to come out and recreate <laughs> the whole film.
2: <laughs> it's Bitter Moon. Now, Bitter Moon is not a film that is, you know, Jim Howick was all about A View to a Kill and, you know, it's not a big movie that everyone's seen, but I think everyone should see it, just mainly as punishment for their crimes.
1: Well, it's directed by Roman Polanski. Definitely. Now, he is considered, when you, you know, forget about stuff that's happened in his life, he is considered one of the greats, like genuine master of the craft. He has directed Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby. I mean, you know, uh, some absolute classics. He's he, he even directed the film before um, this. Uh, Bitter Moon is one of my sort of underrated favorites, Frantic. which is Frantic. Good movie. I love Frantic, yeah. and for some reason, people never really mention or talk about. I agree, it. it's good. And yet, two years or three years later, he makes this Bitter Moon. I, I mean, what genre is it? Well, I'd call it a A
2: soft-core psychodrama. Soft-core psychodrama.
1: Which they did do a lot in the 90s. Yeah. But this isn't like Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction. Much more
2: boring than those.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Way more boring. Oh, my God. I mean, so can you describe the plot? I mean, I could give it a go, but I don't know.
2: Well, it's... Okay, so it's English couple played... Thank God, by Hugh Grant mm-hmm. and Christian Scott Thomas. They're sort of in their late 20s at this point, very young mm-hmm. and beautiful, and they're having marriage problems. They're on a cruise, like most people in their late 20s would do, go on a cruise with yeah. lots of old people. Yeah. And they meet an angry, bitter man in his wheelchair.
1: Already married, already sounding like an amazing plot. Yeah,
2: and a sexy French younger woman who's his wife. And the whole film is basically the guy in the wheelchair trying to tell Hugh Grant the story of his incredibly intense sexual relationship with this woman in his cabin and his wheelchair it's hilarious they keep doing the same thing of let me tell you the next bit come to my cabin and they keep having this and Endless conversation, which you flash back to endlessly.
1: Yeah, and uh, the whole film is just flashbacks. Yeah. of this story that this man's telling about his erotic relationship with this girl, and the flashbacks go on. The first flashback was so long that when it cut back to him telling Hugh Grant the story, I was like, "Oh, I forgot Hugh Grant was in this." <laughs> yeah, and he every like you say every time he goes, "Hey, come to my cabin tonight, and I'll tell you more about my," rela-. and he's like, "Buddy, I don't no no I don't want to," but then still goes yes. and. You're sick, you're sick, this is sick. And then, but yes. listens. Oh, Car- yeah, it's,
2: it's so wrong, it's brilliant. And
1: Look. then it's just the, st- he, the flashbacks of him telling yes. him this story about how he met this girl, yeah. they had an amazing sex life, and then it kind of went horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. Dark. But not, not with too many sort of plot twists or no, turns. It's very linear, yeah. quite boring. <laughs> yeah. Apart from the sex, which is quite interesting if you like sex. Well, it's interesting because. I kept thinking that actress is Roman Polanski's wife and was at the time. and she's in Frantic. And she's in Frantic. I remember really having the hearts for her in Frantic. Yeah, she's,
2: you know... See, what I love about this film is that it's both terrible and quite brilliant. I didn't get the quite brilliant bit. okay, what I think is brilliant about it is all the actors are great. And they're doing a great... They're putting everything into it. I don't think you can say there's any bad performance in this film. No, no, no. The I'm script sure. is terrible. Yeah. But they're playing it completely wholeheartedly. They're committed. And that's what I love about it, because it's it feels like they're really going for it and to set, telling an important story... But it's utterly risible and ridiculous, and yeah. I love that combination. Also, he's Polanski, it sort of looks nice, it's not terribly directed.
1: No, but there were things in it, like the music, not the, not the songs, not the pop songs that he used in there, but the actual soundtrack music, the score, and then the way he transitioned from someone telling him a story to the flat, that felt like tropes, like real proper...
2: You're right. I, it would be a shock to anyone if you didn't know Polanski directed it, right? It feels like, like a real B-movie yeah. by some <laughs> hack director.
1: And, and So then it makes me think, was this some kind of joke? Yeah, but I don't think it is and no. that's one of the things
2: that I've <laughs> obsessed with this film is like, some of the scenes I totally... I watched it with my wife who was laughing. Yeah. She had, I kept having to pause it because she was laughing so much. <laughs> but I, I, I would love to think, and I don't think it was intended to be funny, No. It takes itself very seriously, which is obviously the best way to be funny.
1: Well, there's also moments in it where it is quite sexy, but there are also moments where it's the least erotic, erotic film I've ever seen. that's
2: what's so great. But there's a couple of sex scenes which I would say are the funniest sex scenes I've ever seen. Just bizarre. So the George Michael Faith one, for example. Yeah, hence why you picked George Michael earlier. She's pouring milk over herself... George Michael's playing very loudly in Congress, and not a really sexy song particularly. No. <laughs> then she goes down on him, and as he's reaching the moment of climax,
1: the toast flies up from the toaster, which is like something from a comedy movie. Exactly, I mean it's. I st- if, Roman, if you listen to this podcast, please call in and yeah. just tell us what were you? <laughs> w- is this was it an experiment? Was it a joke? Were, do you believe in this film? Do you still stand by it? It's the we, we just can't work it out. The other thing I like about it is I think it's a very French view of an English couple.
2: This kind of like very bumbly, yeah. kind of frosty, you sort know, of,
1: sexually sort of. Repressed, repressed couple and brilliantly
2: played by two great actors but they're they're kind of wonderful cliches
1: well if if anything the uh, appearance of uh, Kristen Scott Thomas and Hugh Grant did I'm sure must have had some kind of um, some some kind of impact on them being cast in Four Weddings so there's if you're a fan of that film then the other
2: film from this period I almost picked another favourite of mine is Lair of the White Worm have you watched that no Ken Russell
1: oh well there you go Hugh Grant Peter Capaldi Amanda okay. Donahue I'm, I'm in I'm sold yeah there's where a can Boy I watch?
2: scout scene with Amanda Donahue as a vampire she picks him up in her car which is, has to be seen to be believed
1: well Ken Russell always had a bit of bit of sexy time in yeah. his films they me. had an interesting period for Hugh I
2: think yeah. that, you know he was going through a tough time
1: <laughs> it got tougher in the <laughs> late 90s on a certain street in LA do you
2: remember that that was yeah. I was you know I was aware you of were that. in the car.
1: <laughs> well, um, I've I've not said this before about a film, and I feel bad because Polanski's actually been like one of my favourite filmmakers, and you know one day I'd like to work with him. <laughs> uh, but I don't like saying bad things about films, and normally a film's so bad it's good or it's funny or whatever. But this was just I've just. I did sort of go from hating it to sort of liking it because then I started to imagine you laughing at me having to watch it <laughs> um, and the ridiculousness of it, and that it 's so committed to these long sort of meandering like you say you kept saying it's quite it's just really boring Sorry in place about that. yeah, but it's also um, too long much too long much too long but um if you... <laughs> but you must have enjoyed this scene where he's getting a
2: blowjob and the and the little dog of the prostitute comes Yeah, that was a weird starts one. Starts
1: attacking him. And he grabs it on the neck as he... Yeah. <laughs> um, just lots of weird stuff in it. But if you do happen to want to watch a boring, erotic drama... Brilliantly acted. Brilliantly acted. Terribly written. Terribly written. Quite a lot of tits. Quite a lot of... The same two tits. Same two but, tits. But uh, if you if that's your bag, then this is the film for you. It's a great 80s pop soundtrack. Yes. Oh, there is that as well. So um, in a weird sort of way, I think we've just sold that film. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to um, play us out, we uh, are going to play another song. You've really committed, because normally people pick just songs or score music from any film or TV show they love, but you've just gone today... F- Bitter Moon, you've just completely committed to this whole thing. Uh, So you've picked The Bitter Moon as the guilty pleasure and both songs from the soundtrack. Uh, Just before I introduce it, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I can't wait. I know that you've probably got stuff coming up that we can't discuss but I look forward to whatever you do next. Thank you. Um, You're a brilliant writer and um, uh, thanks. So here we have from Bittermoon Stop by Sam Brown.
0: All that I have is all that you've given me. FUBAR RADIO Podcast. Go to FubarRadio.com for more details.